hey, good morning. Good to see everybody today. I'm glad you're here. You can clap for somebody who made it to church. So, hey, if you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you decided to come today because this is the second week of a series that is called Shape It. And in this series, what we're recognizing is that our lives are valuable and our, our lives are worth actually investing in and, and being intentional about shaping. And so uh, last week, we started out with a message about the old patterns and shaking the old patterns so we could shape our lives on purpose. And today, I get to bring a message on physical health because you can't really talk about shaping your life on purpose and ignore the obvious reality that that we're physical beings as much as we are anything else and so I get to bring a message today on physical health on diet and exercise yeah there was not any particularly loud amen there was like two woohoos right over there they are at the gym seven days a week, you know. Everyone else were like, oh gosh. <laughs> no, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good message, I'm sure. But uh, it's, it's hard. I'll have to admit it. It's hard to stand up here two weeks after the holidays and bring a message about diet and exercise. Because listen, the holidays are tough for all of us. I mean, it's tough. I, I, I have to acknowledge that probably in the last month I consumed more bad food than I did in the whole 11 months before that, right? And so uh, it, it's tough to stand here and bring this message because I can't stand here as though I'm like the paragon of perfection in the physical realm, right? I got, I got my own missed it kinds of moments, but truth is you did it to me. A lot of you, you did it to me. I'm talking about one brother in the church brought me a two-pound bag of Girardelli chocolate-covered pretzel rods with bacon bits on them. You can't not eat those. It would be a diss to the pig, right? And I, I had a, another friend who brought a, 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 an upside-down apple pie. I'd never even heard of it before, but an upside-down apple pie is where uh, uh, the upside is, on, is there. Like the, what's on, usually on the bottom is on the top, so you can see all of the caramely, cinnamony, sweet, sugary goodness in such a way that you cannot resist it, right? And besides, I mean, what's more American than apple pie? So it would be unpatriotic not to have eaten it, right? So I did, and another friend brought us a tin of these... Uh, ancient Italian family recipe spice waffle cookies. And man, I'm not going to dishonor the ancient Italian traditions and throw them away. I ate them. They were good. Another friend brought us a box of C's chocolates. And you know what? If they were those like blueberry raspberry nougat made in the hell by the devil kinds. I could have resisted them, but they weren't. The whole box was full of scotch mellows. Nobody can fight that, right? So what I did was I just decided I'm going to eat as many of them as I possibly can in one sitting. That way the temptation will be gone sooner. That's what I did. And what I was actually doing is I was defending my family from the temptation that would have come their way if there would have been any left, right? So, ah, oh man, I know that I'm not the only one that probably blew it a little bit over the holidays when it comes to, you know, diet and exercise, physical health, that kind of thing. And maybe even in the bigger picture, maybe it wasn't just the holidays. Maybe for some of us, truth is that we've kind of uh, not been given much attention at all to what we've been doing with our physical health. And, and yet today... I want to bring a message that might call some of us back to a place where we would value what God values and that we would take to heart that God actually has a vision for our lives that's holistic and it's not only about well go to heaven one day when you die that part is amazing and beautiful but God also cares about the here and now aspect of how we live and our physical body matters to God so so if you read the scriptures, big picture, you start out in Genesis, and in the very beginning, what you discover is this revelation. It says, God created us, male and female, in his image. 
and in the image of God. In God, there is no disease. There is no unhealth of any kind. There's perfection and purity and vitality and strength. And, and that is the image of God, and that image of God is in you. And, and it's in me. It's in all of us, the image of God, that aspect of the image of God. And I wonder if maybe for some of us, we need to come into alignment a little bit more with that aspect of the image of God. And then as you read throughout the scriptures, you find again and again these verses that just describe how God cares about our physical experience. His design is that as human beings, we would thrive. He wants us to flourish, to have a, a, a good experience in terms of the physical reality and the spiritual reality. Here's, here's some of those verses. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, for example, it says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Read the next part of it out loud with me. Ready, go. Then you will have healing for your body and strength. I want you to read it like you mean it, people. Come on. This isn't even the bad part yet. Trust me. <laughs> Come on, say it loud. Go. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. It's a picture of something God desires for us. Healing in your body. Strength for your bones. Like this is God revealing, hey, your body matters to me. I want healing for it. And if he wants healing for it, he also wants healthy patterns for it. And, and so this is uh, revealed. Isaiah 58, 11 paints a picture of the vision God has. It says this, it says, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, if you could just let your imagination go there, a well-watered garden, an ever-flowing spring, and it's an analogy, right? But it's God saying, in a sense, I want your life kind of like that, like that, full of health and vitality. And it's a well-watered garden, right? You know what a well-watered garden is full of, don't you, though? Vegetables. Just saying. All right. We're going to go there. <laughs> but there's another verse I think is important. It's in 3 John, in sort of the end of the New Testament, near the book of Revelation. And, and, and John writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you read it out loud with me? It's all on the screen. Go. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Everyone say as. as. As, as in these things both matter. And what we tend to do is, in the church, we tend to jump right to the end of that verse. And we go, yeah, the spirit. Let's talk about spiritual things. Let's talk about Bible studies. And let's talk about, uh, you know, praying for hours. Let's talk about the spiritual and the soul and all that. But God is presenting to us his idea of things here, which is that, no, 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 no. You're interconnected. And it's, it's not only the, quote, spiritual that I'm after for you. I'm, I'm, I'm after an integrated, holistic experience of goodness and health. And I want for you to be strong in spirit, yes, but I also want you to be as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. So, so here's the deal. You and I might might engage in a little bit of sort of uh, a dichotomy where we would say, well, I don't know if God really cares about my body that much. I mean, does it really matter? But it does. It does matter. And, and, and God's not interested in us, in us, you know, engaging in the old heresy of dualism. That's this idea from way back when, which said, you know what, the only thing that matters is the spirit and the physical body doesn't matter. Just get over it. But, but from the scriptures, what we find is a revelation that we are an integrated whole. In fact, the scripture talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that as human beings, we have three aspects to who we are. 
spirit, soul, and body, all interconnected. This is the reality from a biblical perspective. You are a spirit, a spiritual being, and you are living in a body, and you have a soul, and all of them are interconnected. And I want us to just maybe uh, get that in our minds today and just say this. Say, I am a spiritual being, and I have a soul, and I live in a body, and they're all interconnected. You had no enthusiasm when you said that just now. I don't believe you cared about it, but uh, I'm glad you said it. Okay, so this is the scripture's description of the human being, body, soul, and spirit. They're all interconnected. What you do with your body will affect your soul. What you do with your soul, it'll affect your spirit, your body. And, and you can't ignore the one and think the other's going to be fine. They're not going to be fine. You've got to deal with the reality of your physicality to the degree that you can. You know, some of us uh, understand that, that our health is largely a function of what we put into our body and what we do with our body. Now, there's some things that can mess up our health. Like, for example, you might get into an accident, and that could mess up your health. Or you might catch a disease that wasn't your intention or fault, and that can mess up your health. Or you might be born with something congenital in, in the genes that uh, messes up your health. But aside from those things, for the most part, your health is in your hands. It really is. Like, what you put into your body and what you do with your body is going to have a, a, a determinate effect on your experience of whatever it means to be healthy in body. I want you to read this verse one more time and say it strong. Ready, go. I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. I want us to focus in today on being healthy in body, okay? Healthy in body, it matters to God. This is a revelation, and in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter nine. You can make your way there now to 1 Corinthians chapter nine because I do believe God wants us to be healthy in body, but I don't think it comes about by autopilot. I do think it has bearing on what you can do for the kingdom of God. I do think it affects your experience of life on planet Earth, and I think probably a lot of us could stand to grow. I mean, there might have been seven people when I started talking about, this is going to be a message on diet and exercise, that you were about ready to raise a very lonely amen, <laughs> and then you thought the better of it. And then there's the rest of us, right? And it's because it, it, it feels like a challenge. It feels maybe even like something we don't want to have to deal with. And, but I want to say from the outset, while you're turning to 1 Corinthians 9, that in this message today, there's no condemnation. None for any of us. I hope that we could just take this message, and, and from this message, we might say, you know what, I'm not taking any condemnation from this word from God's heart, but I will take encouragement from it. I will take uh, the possibility of new direction from this message. I might even take an openness to course correction from this message. If that would be you, if you would say, I think I'm willing to take it that way, I want you to just right now raise your hand and say, I'll take it that way. Come on, I'll take it that way. Encouragement, openness to new direction, possibly even a bit of course correction, but no condemnation. Ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9, and this is God's word for somebody today. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you realize... That in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my 
body, like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after I preach to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now listen, this is the Apostle Paul. He's talking to a group of believers who were dealing with a particular problem related to, should we eat food sacrificed to idols or not? Now that's not exactly our problem, but it is still in the realm of what we put into our body and what we do with our body. And so I think it's important for us to take it to heart. And and here's what the Apostle Paul does. I love it. He, He sets it up first with this analogy of of athletes and athletics and it's probably something a lot of us can relate to maybe we played on a sport at one time or we're a fan of a team and and we get this right that that if an athlete becomes great at what they do it has everything to do with discipline if they get there it's because they've been disciplined and it's important for us to live with discipline in a sense Paul is saying look athletes engage in this discipline To win a prize, it's going to be temporary. But if an athlete would discipline themselves to to go after something that's temporary, how much more should we be willing to engage with discipline since we're going after something that lasts for all eternity? And, and, And you know what? A lot of us, to this point, we could go, I'm tracking with you. I get it. Yep, we should be disciplined, and and we might say to ourselves, that's right, let me carry the analogy over now and say, therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to discipline my spirit. We would maybe say that. We might say, I'm going to discipline my soul. I'm going to discipline my spiritual practices, that kind of thing. That's not what Paul did, though, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Did you track with it? In verse 27, Paul did not say, so therefore I discipline my my spirit. Paul said, verse 27, I discipline my spirit. Just when we thought we might be off the hook because it was an analogy and that now we could depart and just talk about how it would be about reading Bible verses and praying more. No. Paul said, no, for this reason, I discipline my what? My body. Why? Because your body is integrally connected with your spirit and your soul. Because you are three in one. Because you are made in the image of your God who is three in one. You are body, soul, and spirit. And I wonder if we can say what the Apostle Paul is saying here. I discipline my body. I discipline my body. Is that true of you and I? I'm not asking anybody to stand up and make a confession right now. That would be awkward. But I am asking you to do the, just the work of the soul, to ask yourself the question, is that true about me? Do I discipline my body? Or have I kind of just gotten used to, ah, whatever, I'll just go with the flow, do whatever, I don't think it matters that much. Because if that's the case, maybe it is time to say, all right, God, bring, help me get back to where I should be. So that it could be true of me as well, to the degree that I can. I discipline my body, training it to do what it should, so that I won't be disqualified. What, what a good word. And uh, as we're talking about discipline, right, the core issue in discipline and really the key question probably all of us have to ask if, if we're asking, you know, can I say this, is am I walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Because if I keep in step with the Holy Spirit, then there will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and if you know it, say it, and self-control self-control and if we're going to discipline our body which I believe that we must we, we, we must then we need to walk in step with the Holy Spirit and, and just when we thought Holy Spirit was all about church feels and, and, and saying profound spiritual things and stuff it, it is all that but it's also just as much about the day-to-day life 
thriving, of having the self-control, even in the realm of the physical experience of life on planet Earth, of what we put into our body and what we do with our body. And when I find a lack of self-control, either in me or in someone who I'm dealing with, talking to, mentoring, whatever, when I find a lack of self-control, you know what's usually not far? When there's a lack of self-control, there's usually an unmet need or an unhealed wound or an unformed identity or just an unyielded, unsubmitted will. And so let me just break that down for a moment because I think it's pivotal for all of us because if we have some, some room to grow, let's just say, in the area of our, our physical health, I wonder if maybe underneath the surface it could be one of these things, an unmet need. An unmet need causes us to go searching to get it filled some other how, and maybe it's not a good how, right? And so what we really need to do if we don't have the self-control because there is an unmet need is we need to learn how to engage in some brave communication, to be able to say, this is my need, this is what I need, and, and, and maybe we need to, if we don't have a context where that need can be met, we need to find a way to send it to the cross of Jesus. If we find that what we've got is uh, an unhealed wound, it's time to deal with it. It's time to find the counselor that can lead us on a journey of, of healing. It's time to maybe sign up for a, a freedom prayer session where we could find a deep healing for the deep wound that's there. It's time for us to get free from the deep wound that's keeping us from the discipline. If we find that what really is going on is we've got an unformed identity. That is, we don't really even know who we are in Christ. And so we feel defeated. And we're living under a spirit of defeat. It's because we have an unformed identity. We don't know the reality that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we walk as royal priests in His kingdom. And that we are more than conquerors through Jesus. I mean, this is the discovery we've got to make. And, and it comes by spending more time in our Father's presence and listening to what He says about who we really are. And so that our identity can be formed. Or for some of us, the deal is that we just simply have an unsubmitted will. What I mean by that is that we've just taken up a position where we've said, Psh, I just don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want. If that's going on, it's time to just flat out repent. It's time to say, God, forgive me for that. I repent. I turn from that now, God. I change my mind about what you say. You are true and good and right, God. Because that's where healing's going to come. That's where health is going to begin to flow. So if you and I are going to discipline our body, let's go beneath the surface to the unhealed wounds, the unmet needs, the unformed identity issues, and the unrepentant, unsubmitted will. Because then we can unlock the road to freedom. Come on, somebody say amen. This is what we need to be able to do. And this is God's word to us. You know, I've been reading the scriptures recently, and uh, I was reading through Ezra and Nehemiah in this uh, one-year Bible plan that I'm going through. And if you haven't been reading Ezra recently, Ezra is the part of the Bible where uh, Ezra, the man, comes back to Jerusalem uh, to restore the temple. But he, he finds that the temple's been destroyed. And the first thing he does is he just weeps about it. He cries over it. He mourns over it. He just is recognizing it's just so wrong that this happened to the temple, you know? Because he recognizes the temple matters to God. But then what comes next is that Ezra addresses what happened to the temple and rebuilds it and does the, the maintenance on the temple. The temple maintenance happens. The temple restoration happens. And the end result is joy. Like, there's these scenes in Ezra where the, the, the party is so huge because of the joy of the temple being tended to like it ought to. And 
then Nehemiah comes, and Nehemiah puts the gates in around the whole city so that the temple is protected. And, you know, I was thinking about it, that the, the temple, it, it really does matter to God. I mean, that's a big picture, part of the revelation in the Old Testament, right? The literal temple in Jerusalem, it mattered and still does matter to God. That is a revelation to just embrace. But there's also another uh, revelation that comes in the New Testament that you ought to probably be aware of. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is what it says. It says, you, you realize, don't you, that you are the temple of God, and God himself is present in you. No one will get by with vandalizing God's temple. You can be sure of that. Read the next part of this verse out loud all together. Ready? Go. God's temple is sacred, and you remember, are the temple. Touch somebody sitting next to you and tell them, you're the temple. <laughs> and it's time for some temple maintenance. Don't say that to them. <laughs> I'm saying that to you, though. I really am. Because I believe that it's on God's heart for us. It, it, the temple is worth taking care of. And, and the picture in the Old Testament of, of the joy in Ezra's time, when the temple was restored is a picture of the joy that can come in our lives when we would finally take responsibility for the physical aspect of who we are, this temple, and begin to do what we can. And it might not be overnight, it might be just measured step after step, but we begin to engage in that temple maintenance. So something beautiful happens, something glorious begins to happen. And, and I hope that we would do it. I hope we wouldn't ignore it. You know, a few months ago, about five months ago, we had an unexpected visit from the fire marshal of our city here at, Muir, at uh, Center Point Church. And uh, he decided, hey, I'm gonna do an in inspection, a complete inspection of your whole entire place. And so the fire marshal and his team went through the whole entire place and made a list of like, all the stuff that was breaking violations and codes, right? And uh, then they gave us a list. It was something like 37 things that we had to deal with. Things like, you know, too many uh, outlets were overloaded and extension cords going where they shouldn't be going. And, and then one of the big issues had to do with storage. You know, we had been storing stuff where there wasn't supposed to be storage. And the storage was blocking doors. And, uh, and, and the storage was, you know, in the front. It was in the back. It was in the sides. And, the, and all of this meant that things were unsafe. And so the fire marshal gave us this list of stuff that was wrong with, if you will, the temple here, you know. And when we got that list, we had options. One option is to say, Psh, whatever, this stuff doesn't matter that much. We'll just let it slide. Big deal, we'll just pay the fine. What, what can they do? I mean, we could have maybe a, attempted something like that. But we simply embraced, like, no, this is, this is the house of God. This is the temple, if you will, and, and we're responsible for it, and so let's work on these things. And five months later, we're almost done with all of them, and we have uh, some electricians fixing some things even this week. But uh, I'm not really talking about the church facilities anymore, though. I'm talking about the body. I'm talking about the storage issue. I'm saying, you know what? Maybe there's been a little bit too much storage. Maybe it is in the front. Maybe it is in the back. Maybe it's in the sides. I don't know, but somebody, I came to tell you, it's time to Marie Kondo that stuff. It's time to say thank you and then get rid of it, right? That's what we need to be doing. We need to be ready to deal with the temple and to deal with the things that are, are, are needing some attention. Maybe we've let it slide for some time, and there's grace for all of us. There are reasons, but I think God is saying, but I want something better for you. And so can you take your next right step? And that's going to be different for every one of us, different depending on uh, the age that we're in and the stage of our life, different, 
based on certain physical conditions, but can we take a step in the direction of taking care of the temple God gave us? And if we're going to do it, I think this is one of the places where we need to start. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Listen to what it says. Actually, say it out loud with me. Ready, go. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But the scripture does specify and call out, in particular, eating and drinking. So I think we need to go there for a moment. Now, I wonder if maybe we could just analyze our own life patterns and just ask ourselves this question. Is what I've been putting into my body, is, is, it, is it done for the glory of God? Is it, is it going to bring glory to God? Am I, am I eating what's healthy? I mean, just ask that question. And, and this is a private thing. I, I don't want any shame or embarrassment for anyone, but I do want us to, to ask the question, am I glorifying God with what I put into my body because if not I think it's time to to make a change do you know what I think what we put into our bodies matters to God in fact when you begin to read through the Old Testament and probably some of you have noticed this it's like wow there's a lot of things in there about don't eat this and do eat that you know and we, we hear the word kosher and we know that points to something over here that seemed to matter to God because it does he does care about what we're putting into our bodies the proof is in his word you know, there's uh, tw- something like 26 specific laws in the Old Testament related to food. And then in the whole Bible, there's 78 verses that you can identify that call out a specific food item with either a yes or a no proposition attached to it. It's because it does matter to God. And I'm not going to turn this into a nutritional seminar right now. But I would, I mean, just candidly say, like, the best thing you could do is a little bit of education. Like, get the book, The Daniel Plan, maybe a great way to just begin to get a sense of what does God's word maybe have for me about what I'm putting into my body. And look, the upshot of the Daniel plan, that book, and for that matter, the upshot of the the Bible is when it comes to what you're putting into your body, a whole lot more vegetables and fruit and a whole lot less sugar. I mean, that's it. In a nutshell, read through the Bible. That's what you're going to find. You know, it's interesting, though. The word sugar doesn't ever come up in the Bible in that way. Because it wasn't really a thing, you know? But you know what was a thing is honey. And honey then is a, is a word that's kind of like a stand-in for sugar. And here's what the scripture does say in Proverbs about honey. <laughs> yep, you read it right. Go ahead and say it out loud. Ready? Go. It is not good to eat too much. Oh, why? <laughs> But it's not, and it's a stand-in word for, for sugar, right? And so it is not good to eat too much brown sugar. It is not good to eat too much confectioner sugar in that glaze. It's not good to eat too much refined sugar. It's not good to eat too much cane sugar. It's not good to eat too much corn syrup sugar for sure. Like, it's there. And we can either go, you know what? My God is speaking, and I'm going to take some steps to come into alignment with what he's saying. Or we can ignore it. But whenever we ignore stuff that God says, it just doesn't end up helping as much. And, and so I wonder if maybe we could take to heart this issue in particular about, about sugar because it, it, the, 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 the dynamic has changed even just in the last few decades. Look, Time Magazine uh, published research that talked about how in 1990, the average American ate four 
teaspoons of sugar a day. And that now the average American is eating 22 teaspoons of sugar a day. And we're wondering, why are our bodies so jacked up? Why are we having so many diseases that we didn't know about before? I wonder if there's a connection. And you know what? In the same time period, we've done ourselves the favor of inventing fantabulous devices, right? Screens of every kind, iPads and iPods and VRs and gaming like never before, all designed to keep us perpetually seated on our butts doing nothing. And all the sugar is just still flowing. And, and what ends up happening is something happens that, 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 that God did not design our, our livers, our body systems to deal with that much excess sugar. And so what our bodies do with it is just instantly put it in the storage. <laughs> That's the reality. And, and for some of us, we've been wondering, how come I can't get a handle on this? It's because maybe, it, maybe we haven't really dealt with that we have a food issue, or more importantly, we have a sugar issue. There was a documentary called Fed Up. You should watch it. It will mess with you. <laughs> but it talked about how sugar, this epidemic really, I mean, it's, it's like cocaine in terms of how addictive it is, which is why so many of you look angry right now because you, it sounds like I'm trying to take away your fix, right? And the truth is it, it really does matter. We, we need to break free from patterns that are damaging us and and maybe even shortening our lifespan or decreasing our capacity to experience the joy of the Lord and the goodness of God. And the, the, the sugar issue is part of it. It's partly in terms of what we eat. It's partly in terms of what we drink. Do you know what? In my household, we go through one uh, five-gallon water bottle every day and a half. And the reason for that is that about five years ago, we decided to stop buying canned uh, sodas and boxed and, and bottled uh, fake fruit beverages and all of that stuff because we realized we're just drinking pounds of sugar and it's turning into pounds of something else and we didn't want it. So, so we go through a lot of water but it's because we've determined we, we want to reduce and we're not going cold turkey. I mean, I, I, I'm the guy who threw peanut M&Ms out a few weeks ago, right? So, I, but I do think that making the concerted effort to drastically reduce what we're doing with sugar will make a big difference in our lives. It might hurt for a few days, but it will be worth it in the end. But uh, did I do enough damage on the, on the sugar issue? All right, okay. We'll move right along then. And the other part of the thing I wanted to talk about was exercise. Everybody say exercise. Funny thing about the Bible and exercise, though, is that except in like one translation and in one verse, you don't even find the word exercise. You know why? Because in the whole entire Old Testament, exercise was assumed. I mean, the whole thing is about people that were doing nothing but walking, constantly walking for 40 years in the wilderness. People were walking from Egypt all the way up to Jerusalem. People were walking around the city of Jericho seven days without stopping. I mean, there's a whole lot of exercise. They're marching into battle. They're coming. I mean, this is the deal, right? We, 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 we see an assumed exercise pattern in the people in the Bible. But by the time you do get to the New Testament, apparently people have been chilling a little bit more. And so there's this one verse in 1 Timothy that starts to highlight this issue. It says in 1 Timothy 4, a physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for the present and the life to come. And we, and we look at a verse like that and we go, oh yes, godliness, Let's, more Bible studies, more prayer. Yes, great, good, but please don't jump past the first part of what God's heart is. Physical exercise is of some value. And I would argue maybe even more value now than in the time in which it was written because of the, the, the patterns of, of sitting and eating that have gotten you know, way out of sorts for us. And so 
uh, we had a challenge before us to decide that it matters. And I'll just share with you my own personal pattern. And I don't claim to be, you know, the, the one who's getting it all right, but I, I mean, I would like to say this in terms of follow my example as I follow Christ, right? And in this particular regard, just what I do, I get up at 4.45 or 5, you know, five or six days a week, start out with a 12-ounce glass of water, just first thing in the morning, because it charges your, your body. And then I make a nice strong cup of coffee and sit down and enjoy the coffee and Bible and encounter with God time. And after that, I do exercise, usually for about an hour. And in the warmer days, I'll do a two-mile, maybe three-mile run in the neighborhood. In the cold, I'll go to the gym and do that on a treadmill. And then I'll do a, a workout. And I'm not trying to become Mr. Universe or something. I'm just trying to stem the tide of deterioration, right, at this point. I'm trying to, you know, just keep some strength in my body because I believe it's part of God's desire and design. And so I'm doing a, a basic, I'm, it's not going to impress anybody who really knows this stuff, but Mondays, the chest and try, and Tuesdays, the back and by, and Wednesdays, the shoulders, and Thursdays, argh, the legs, <laughs> and then Fridays, you know, put them all together. But th this is my pattern, and some days I have no will to do it. I don't want to. I just don't feel like it. I'm feeling drowsy or whatever, and, and, and I look at the clock and go, I, if I even went to the gym, I would only have 11 minutes. But you know what I tell myself? Even if I only had six minutes, it's still worth it. And that's my policy is just start. And I tell myself, just start. And there's this technique I learned from some book I read last year. It's called 54321 Launch. And if you can tell yourself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to count down from five. And when I get to zero, I'm going to say launch and get up off, of, off my chair. Try it sometime. You can't even help. You're like, five, four, three, two, one, launch. And you'll just, and I go. And even if I only have 11 minutes at the gym, it's still better than nothing, right? And, and uh, it, it's good for each and every single one of us. You know, I, I read about this, uh, this guy, Dave Goggins. He wrote a book called uh, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds. Dave Goggins is a Navy SEAL and one of the toughest guys out there. He set the world record for doing pull-ups. He did 4,025 pull-ups in one day. Day. This man is a beast, right? But, but he, he wrote this book, talked about how, you know, he set this record for strength, but he said, look, I do a one-hour workout every day, but every day I do two hours of stretching. And, and, and it made an impression on me, and I'm discovering that too in my early 40s. Like, wow, it, it really matters, way more than it ever used to even, you know, to stretch a lot. And this guy, Dave Goggins, he said, the most important muscle I ever stretch as I spend time stretching the psoas muscle. It's P-S-O-A-S. It's the muscle that connects the backs of your legs all the way up to your, your back. It is one of the most important muscles you have that you can stretch. And so stretching the psoas becomes so important. So I wanted to tell you that today. I hope that you would stretch your psoas so you <laughs> don't get a sore back. That's all I wanted you to hear today, right? This is important stuff. But I hope that we would take it to heart and just let God move in our lives in a new way, even through our physical body. It's so important. First Corinthians... <laughs> First Corinthians six nineteen says, "Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you want the Holy Spirit to just flow in and through your life fluidly? Don't you want your experience of God to be marked by the Holy Spirit percolating up in you, causing miracles to flow through and into your life? I mean, I do." 
And, and so that means I want to attend to the temple where the Holy Spirit resides. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. You, you must, it says, right? I got people coming to me sometimes, and they'll sit down and say, you know, I just, I don't know what's wrong. I just, my life, I just feel so listless. I just don't even have any energy, no joy. And I'll begin to just ask some questions because I've discovered that this matters. And I'll say, well, just tell me, like, tell me about what you eat, you know? They're usually a little surprised, but I think it's an important question. And they'll say, well, I don't know, I just usually just burgers and fries and, you know, maybe some gummy bears and Cokes and, <laughs> You know, when I hear an answer like that, I want to start busting out the memes. You know what I mean? I want to start busting out the Morpheus meme, you know? The one where he's like, what if I told you? You know, What if I told you? You're never going to feel good if you only eat burgers and fries, right? I want to start busting out the Liam Neeson meme. You know, the one where he's like this. He's going, one does not simply feel good by eating gummy bears and French fries, right? I want to bust out the Gene Wilder meme from Willy Wonka, that guy who's like, oh, oh, tell me more about how you feel listless and have no energy when all you eat is gummy bears and French fries, right? Like, it matters what we put into our body, what we do with our body. And I hope that today... At the very least, we would be willing to take inventory and ask ourselves, is what I'm putting into my body and what am I doing with my body, is it honoring God? And is it allowing me to really flourish the way God has envisioned for me? And if not, then God, would you help me to choose a new direction and maybe even to be open to a course correction? You will be the beneficiary of this. The people who love you would be the beneficiary of this because you might just be around a little longer. You will enjoy a more fluid experience of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in, in your temple, if you would. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. Don't you want to have, for some of us anyway, some grandbabies in your arms one day and be able to see them grow up? Then do something today about this matter of what you're putting into your body, what you're doing with your body. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is Jesus. He's, he's just conveying to, to you and me that he's the ultimate source of satisfaction. And, and maybe the most pivotal thing for all of us is to learn to find satisfaction for the entirety of who we are body, soul, and spirit in Jesus. He is the living bread. And he said, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I hope that maybe today some of us could wake up to the reality of our need for Jesus. Listen, also, uh, when I was walking in here today, I distinctly sensed uh, somewhere over here, this side of the room, a dramatic pain in your right knee. And I believe God wants to touch that and bring healing to you. If that describes you, if you have just raging pain in your right knee and you want God to touch you and you're over here somewhere, would you just raise your hand because I want to pray for you right now if that's you. And then, um, anyone? In the back over here? Okay. Maybe a couple of you. Could you keep your hand up for a moment? Thank you. And uh, if you're willing to allow someone to lay hands on you and pray for you, would you just keep your hand up for a moment longer? And then some believers full of faith in that general area, I want you to go lay hands on uh, these. There's two people right here in the back and then in the very back, in the very back as well. Someone full of faith for God to heal. Make your way over there. 
and everybody. Would you just join me together? Let's pray for this. God, I pray that even as you care for our physical bodies and you desire for us to experience healing in our bodies like we read in in Proverbs 28, Lord, right now I pray your healing would come through the blood of Jesus. And so whatever damage to meniscus or tendon or whatever's going on, we command that to come into alignment with Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, and that it would be on earth as in heaven right now in these physical bodies, right now. I rebuke the pain in Jesus' name and declare your faithfulness in Jesus' name for each of those who are being prayed for in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You can continue to just pray for them for a moment. But now, if you're here today and you would say, I don't know where I stand with God. I want to be right with God. I don't even know how to do that. The way you do that is by giving your life to Jesus, by just asking Jesus to forgive your sin and save you because he'll do it. He'll forgive you. He'll save you. And if you're here today and long story short, you would just simply say, I think I need to do that. I need to give my life to Jesus and ask him to forgive me and save me. Right now, would you just raise your hand? That's you just finally saying, I need to be right with God. And if this is the way, then here I go. Just raise your hand up and make it known right now. I want that. I want to be right with God. I want to give my life to Jesus. I need you to raise your hand and put it up high so that I can see you. I want to pray with you. I want to make sure I connect with you. Right here? Excellent. Excellent. A couple of you that I've connected with, just take a moment right now where you're sitting and you pray. You say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you paid the price for my sin and I'm asking you to forgive me and save me. Just say that to him. Jesus, would you forgive me and save me? I am yours, Jesus. From this moment forward, you are my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, and all God's people together say, amen.